you, you have a kind of a la carte menu with many of the main companies to choose what you want in terms of um, availability, scalability, reliability, um, backups, security. Many, many companies don't want to invest a great deal of time, money, and effort into the infrastructure. They want a tool that works consistently so that they can focus on their marketing and on their product and on their customers. Everyone wants recurring revenue, but it also allowed the developer to provide ongoing services and upgrades to the extension so that you wouldn't have to worry too much about whether it would break on the next update. So when it comes to e-commerce platforming, what would you rather have, speed or flexibility? This episode addresses exactly when you should opt for speed and agility and when flexibility is of utmost importance. It's a great episode you do not want to miss, so do stay tuned. Retail and e-commerce have witnessed an unprecedented transformation in the last decade. The widespread adoption of mobile technology, social media, as well as the lowered cost of cloud-based technology have not only eroded the barriers to entry in retail, but it's also led to the rapid rise and dominance of digital native product brands that sell directly to their customers. On this podcast, you'll get the scoop on customer acquisition and retention strategies employed by high-growth digital native product brands. Not being afraid to spend because you know that customer is going to pay it back uh, three or four-fold. That's when you start to unlock channels in the way that they were meant to be used. And Listen to interviews with experts at the forefront of technology and innovation in digital retail. Three years ago, they wouldn't have come to us because, yeah, the macro trend of cloud, Wi-Fi, broadband availability, that was a real, that was a real problem. Hear first-hand stories from founders of innovative direct-to-consumer brands. Although I was thinking about the competition, I was more thinking about, like, how do I just build a freaking successful business? We focus on driving as much traffic as possible, converting that traffic, uh, and then dumping money back into driving more traffic. These insights will help you consistently 2x growth in specific areas of your direct-to-consumer brand. This is the 2x e-commerce podcast, hosted by Kunle Campbell. Growth capital for e-commerce businesses is like the rocket fuel needed to thrust the rocket into space. You need capital to grow, but access to growth capital often requires giving up equity or paying high interest rates. Well, there is a new way to access growth capital. It is Wayflyer. Wayflyer has shaken up the way D2C e-commerce operators access working capital. Wayflyer will fund you on a fairer pay-as-you-grow model. Meaning that if your sales slow down, so does the amount you transfer back. There's just one simple fee and the funds you need to grow are deposited into your account instantly. It's worth checking out on wayflyer.com. That's W-A-Y-F-L-Y-E-R.com. Hi 2Xers, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kunle Campbell. The 2X e-commerce podcast show is dedicated to digital commerce insights for retail and e-commerce teams. Each week on this podcast, we interview a commerce expert, a founder of a digital native consumer brand, or representative from a best-in-class commerce SaaS product. We give them a very tight remit 
to help you give you ideas you can test right away on your brand so you can improve commerce growth metrics such as conversions, average order value, repeat customers, your audience size, and ultimately your gross merchant value or sales. We are here to help you sell more sustainably. Now, speaking of which, the episode you're about to listen to is an interview I had with Tim Bucciarelli. He is the Senior Manager of Digital Operations at Ironplane, a full-service e-commerce agency specializing in platform design, development, and digital marketing agency in general. They specialize, from our conversation, predominantly on the Adobe platform, big commerce, and a few other platforms, but the core is the Adobe platform and um, and big commerce enterprise, I believe. With the Adobe, we really talked about um, just the breakdown of the, the infrastructure right there, right now, um, which is Adobe Cloud, Magento Open Source, and um, Adobe Commerce. He talks, we talked a, bit, a lot about migrations, you know, what you should consider um, from a from an agility standpoint and then from a flexibility standpoint. So if you're looking for um, you know, flexibility, for instance, in checkout, in the checkout experience, then certain SaaS um, you know, platforms may not be the the best for you. But if you're looking for agility, then SaaS, you know, some some you know off the shelf SaaS solutions might be um, you know, um, ideal for you. We don't talk about replatforming enough in this podcast, and that's because there's so much in the sphere of marketing, finance, and operations we should be talking about in this podcast. So this is a breath of fresh air. You'll be listening to this on a Saturday. Um, it's a bonus episode for you to just get your um, get your head around platforming um, from you know someone who is you know, deep into the, in the trenches in, in that space. So if you are an e-commerce director or you're an e-commerce manager, or you're thinking about replatforming in general, this episode might be the one for you. There are other very specialist podcasts around replatforming, like the replatform podcast um, hosted by um, James, James Gerd, who's a friend of mine. Um, you can check it out. But um, this particular episode really speaks to the Adobe and big commerce versus all the other options out there. Um, and um, he is a very well versed individual in you know e-commerce platform. And he's, he's an e-commerce you know expert in his in his own right. Um, so enjoy this episode, and if you haven't already, do do us a favor and um, follow us, and potentially leave us a review on you know whatever podcasting platform you listen to the 2x e-commerce podcast i shall leave you and i will catch you on the other side so enjoy this conversation i had with tim cheers the 2x e-commerce podcast is brought to you by clavio the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and sms messaging whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That is why it's trusted by over 50,000 e-commerce brands like Brooklinen, Non, and Chubbies. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. 
Get started for free today. Visit klaviyo.com forward slash 2x to create your free account. That is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com forward slash 2x. Hello, Tim. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast. It's it's an absolute pleasure having you on, on the show. Um, before we dig right into what we're about to talk to, I really want to know more about you. You know, um, you're you're at Iron Plates right now, but prior to Iron Plates, you know, what uh, what was what led you into the world of e-commerce? You know, as as we know it today. Uh, well, I, I shifted actually pretty seamlessly over. Uh, I was actually an Iron Plane client uh, prior to joining Iron Plane, and I helped manage an e-commerce business in specialty food, where we shipped uh, imported fine foods all over the country. And I was in that business for about 16 years, most recently, and worked uh, in all manner of e-commerce areas, including digital marketing, social media, uh, a little bit of direct mail, uh, as well as the operations side of the uh, uh, pick, pack, and ship, customer service, returns management. So really, it was a small business operation with pretty extensive reach and very dedicated customer base. The, the transition to uh, Iron Plane was very natural for me. I was very involved in the technology of our business, uh, as well as in the food and the products. Um, and so what I like to believe is that I bring a little bit of both perspectives to our current clients at Iron Plane. Interesting, interesting. So, would you say you're, you're very much in an operations and technology um, you know, expert? Yes, I would say those are my two specialties. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so you, 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 you're, you're doing operations and tech for, 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 a, for a retail business, for, for a commerce business and your now agency side, how do both worlds sort of compare, you know, um, how, what, what is the key difference? Well, I think when I moved over to the agency side, similarly, it's a smaller agency. So uh, I'm very comfortable wearing a number of hats in that environment. And I really love learning new skills, uh, as do you, I know, with all of your podcasts and learning each one. Um, I think that my goal is to take the perspective that I learned as an e-commerce manager and inform my interactions with our clients. So... I do a lot of work with our sales team right now. I also do a lot of work with our internal operations, the technologies that we choose to use to support our business, and also in the uh, client management and account management, uh, working with our clients. Okay. Do you want to sort of break down what you do at Iron Plane, please? Sure. So I've built out, for example, the... CRM tool and marketing automation tool that we use. It's called HubSpot. Most of your listeners would have heard of it, I'm sure. Um, I also uh, have coordinated uh, our outbound sales efforts and also our inbound sales efforts. We have recently started shifting a little bit more towards um, the demand generation model rather than the more traditional lead generation model. There's a subtle distinction, but it's an important one. So that's 
that's one thing that I'm working on right now with our, well, with our what, what is team. what's the main difference between um, demand generation and lead generation? Well, the, you know, you, you think of a lead as a lead. It's a single entity that just comes to you and you can, um, you know, hope for the best and you can, you know, dial by numbers and with a huge volume, you generate a lot of leads. But it, it doesn't really um, capture the qualitative element whether they have any intent and all you're thinking about is top of funnel, mid funnel, bottom funnel, and you're just pushing them through and hoping for the best. Uh, obviously there's a lot of skill there as well, but demand generation is really working to create value for a broad audience. And essentially what, what, what it feels like to me is you're trusting in the value of what you are offering that people who at the right time and in the right space will reach out to you. So demand generation is really getting your brand out there, getting your name out there, getting the value proposition out there to a broad audience and, um, and just being as open as you can and available as you can to people who might have some interest in what you do. Interesting, there are parallels to be drawn in the B2C world, or even B2B e-commerce. Um, from a value um, creation or your your value proposition, rather, um, how what what is the most efficient or what are the most efficient methods of um, value of, of just disseminating your value proposition to the broad market without breaking the bank? I think the first obvious path is your existing customers. Um, whether you're B2B or B2C, your existing customers are an invaluable resource of both uh, advisory, you know, how can you make what you're offering better, but also recurring purchase. So uh, whether it's a subscription or whether it's uh, just a recurring um, purchase, they need to renew every year. Um, your existing customer base it should be your first step. And that's the least expensive uh, way for you to go about getting new sales and getting input from them in terms of how you can improve. Beyond that, um, for us in the B2B space, it's um, a lot of, you know, speaking to people, networking at conferences. It's also being on podcasts like your podcasts. Um, and also starting to generate a lot of our own content on our YouTube channel, as well as um, we will be launching shortly our own podcast. Okay. And it sounds to me like it's this convergence of content and, um, and events and networking in a way where you create a community, virtual or you know, in-person um, from that wide market, you know, um, reach with your value proposition, I guess. It is. And, and, you know, saying it, I think, belies the challenge, because this is a essentially what many, many different companies are trying to do now. So the field is very full of people doing podcasts and webinars and mm -hmm. video content on YouTube or Vimeo. Um, so how can you really get your message out and your value proposition out? That's, that's an ongoing challenge. Uh, we like to think that we live in a sweet spot as an agency of size, 
where um, our level of service is much greater than you would find in other larger agencies. Uh, that's the way that we like to think about it. Um, and similarly, focusing on the quality of the development work um, where we don't have huge numbers of clients and every client we do have, uh, we deliver extremely high quality. Mm. Uh, and I think this building in public um, um, approach, both from an e-commerce and a B2B standpoint, um, seems to be delivering returns, you know, um, just from a brand reach perspective. But um, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're, we're here to talk about what you guys do in Iron Plane. Um, so you're an Adobe agency. Do you, do you want to break down what your agency actually does um, to, to the audience, please? Sure. So, yeah, we are uh, an Adobe partner, and we started out building um, Magento websites on the Magento open source platform, which is all that existed when it first started. And uh, since then, uh, the Magento platform was purchased by uh, eBay and then eventually Adobe, I think in 2014. And Adobe is in the process of um, and has done a great deal to improve the platform. They, they um, moved it from version one onto version two now. And subsequently, they're now shifting it to become a little bit more integrated with their experience platform. So uh, Magento has become what is now called Adobe Commerce. So there's actually three different paths that you can take if you want to work within the Adobe Commerce world or Magento world. One is Magento Open Source, one is Adobe Commerce, and one is Adobe Commerce Cloud. So the cloud means that it's basically Adobe hosting your Adobe Commerce site. Open source is where you have a lot more flexibility to build it as you need. And Adobe may or may not, other than being the platform provider, may or may not be involved in what you're doing day to day. So a lot of our clients are on the open source platform. We have several right now on the cloud platform as well and several also on the commerce platform. So we focus on designing and developing Magento or Adobe Commerce websites. And more recently, we've also been focused on migrations. So if clients are coming to us and they're on a different platform and they wanna migrate over to Magento, we help them migrate that existing data and that existing um, e-commerce experience over to the Magento platform. Further, we also work with our clients to optimize if they are currently on Magento, but maybe they have a partner who has uh, decided to no longer support them, or they chose that they're not the best quality um, service, then they come to us and um, we can help them through what we call a Magento rescue. We take it over and we can help them optimize their uh, Magento e-commerce platform. Okay, okay, interesting. So um, Magento open source is Magento, essentially, is, is that right? Where you exactly. have the source code um, and then you build. So it's um, it's, it's self-hosted, right? Yes. Or, okay. Yeah. Um, what sorts of businesses, you know, um, just prefer to 
go open source. And what happened to Magento Enterprise? That's now Adobe Commerce. Yes, okay. so right. the, what, so the you, Enterprise Edition, the EE, uh, mm -hmm. is now Adobe Commerce. Yeah. Okay. Okay, makes sense. So with with the open source, um, what sort of e-commerce operations um, tend to embrace the open source platform? Uh, I think it's interesting because you would sometimes think, well, the Adobe Commerce platform is like a step up, right? Maybe Adobe has mm -hmm. built in more sophisticated functionality out of the box on that platform, the Adobe Commerce platform. And you might think Magento open source is maybe like, uh, maybe the older or, or less functional version, but it's actually a lot of enterprise businesses who want total control over their e-commerce and they want to own all of their code. Uh, and they want complete control over the hosting environment as well. Magento open source is a great candidate for those companies. Um, because then they have complete control from start to finish in their e-commerce uh, platform. Um, Adobe Commerce is not too far different. It's still quite um, uh, customizable, uh, but you are paying then Adobe for a license fee to take the benefit of the additional functionality that's built into the commerce um, portion. Okay, so just to, to clarify, um, with the Magento open source, you are hosting it yourself. And with Adobe Commerce, you're hosting it yourself. Yes. So both of those platforms, you can either host it on-prem in your own facility, if you have the resources to do that, or you can outsource the hosting to any number of hosting companies. There are several companies who specialize in the Magento platform and who provide great quality service. Um, but yes, it is hosted. Uh, now the hosting itself can be cloud hosting, you know, the virtual hosting that's very popular with AWS or Google or, or Azure. Um, or it could be on, um, you know, a shared server or a dedicated yeah. server, an actual piece of hardware. So the, the hosting, can vary quite a bit, but the idea, as you said, is exactly right. Both Adobe Commerce and Magento Open Source are hosted platforms. Yeah. So, so with the rise of, um, so, so uh, I'll, I'll ask that question. So, Adobe Cloud um, is is that an entry level product? No, no. That's like the the the. Um, the top level, basically, so it's it depends a cream on of the top. how connected you want to be with Adobe, essentially. So Adobe Commerce okay. gives you more out-of-the-box functionality, especially in regards to B2B and the latest technology that Adobe has crafted into the Adobe Commerce platform. You're going to get into the cloud. Well, Adobe Commerce in general, both cloud okay. and not cloud. But the cloud puts it more in Adobe's control to support you because then they are hosting it for you. Mm. So it's really, um, that becomes a little bit more of this kind of idea of one-stop shop where you're working with Adobe, who is providing you with the technology to support your e-commerce operations through the platform. And then also they're hosting it. So if you have any questions, if you have any needs, you can go to Adobe and they'll deal with it for you. Um, however, 
it's it's important to recognize that most of the time you still need an agency who can go in there and do the customizations for you and do you know oh, yeah. all the work Definitely. that Adobe doesn't want to do. Yeah. So so what's the cost of ownership with with the cloud? Um, I think well, first of all, as with anything, anything that's published anywhere, you go and talk to the company themselves. They give you a quote that is specific to your company's needs. And sometimes mm -hmm. they'll be willing to give you quite a deal. Sometimes it's just with the rack rates. But generally, from what I know, Adobe Commerce, you pay uh, a monthly subscription fee. Let's say it's around 2000 US. Uh, and then if you're also being hosted in their cloud environment, it could be an additional 1000 or 2000 on top of that per month. Okay. So not too bad, not too bad at all. Right. So I, I guess it begs the question, if with the rise of, you know, um, cloud-based e-commerce hosting solutions, you know, here and there, some, some are public, you know, some are about to go public, you know, why is there still a need for on-prem, using your terminology, um, solutions like Magento open source or even um, a non-Adobe hosted um, Adobe commerce, um, uh, you know, um, platform in the sense, because I remember, um, or I still have access to, um, you know, some Magento stores that have crashed um, as a result that that is hosted. Magento sites have crashed as a result of unprecedented amounts of traffic. There, there are also security potential security. Basically, you need a developer, you know, um, you know, to to support, um, you know, self-hosted. Um, you know, solution. What, so, so why are um, organizations still embracing um, open source and self-hosted solutions? Is it a thing that's going a, and and is is um, is, is a cloud or um, SaaS um, the, the way forward? I think um, I would split it out a little bit into uh, maybe three categories. One category is the open source, um, and maybe put that off to the side just for a moment. Regarding the hosting, I think it is extremely rare for a company to choose to do their own hosting. It's it's become very very rare these days, uh, and for good reason because the the availability, the scalability, the redundancy of cloud uh, hosted environments has has come so far over the past ten years. Um, I, I suspect that there still are companies who want the control, but those companies who are doing the on-premise um, hosting themselves, they have number of resources to manage it. It's not just one developer, it's a team of, uh, you know, database architects and uh, network security people. So these are larger companies who, for whatever reason, whether it's privacy or security or want their own control over their own platform, um, but, but again, I'm just a little bit hypothesizing because it's so rare these days that anyone really wants to take that on themselves. The next one is the um, hosting where you're, where you're um, giving it off to someone else. And again, you've got a variety of hosting options there. Um, and most of them are going to be offering you, um, as, as you scale up, a great deal of scalability and reliability um, and redundancy. 
um, you you have a kind of a la carte menu with many of the main companies to choose what you want in terms of um, availability, scalability, reliability, um, backups, security, um, all of which I think are pretty affordable these days. Um, when you look at AWS, for example, and the pricing that AWS is offering for their hosting. Let's take this quick break to hear from our sponsors. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly 500 billion by 2025. As a fast-growing area in commerce, subscriptions hold tremendous opportunities to build a community of customers who share your values. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution, helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale subscription offerings. Recharge powers the growth of over 15,000 subscription merchants and their communities, turning one-time transactions into long-term customer relationships. Whether you're a direct-to-consumer business or an omni-channel brand, subscriptions strengthen the brand relationships with your customers and make it easy for customers to make repeat purchases. With subscriptions, merchants are able to experience predictable revenue, increased customer loyalty, and higher average order values. Turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Get started today with a subscription payment solution trusted by over 50 million subscribers worldwide by heading over to rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. That is rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. Did you know that loyal customers are nine times more likely to convert compared to a first-time shopper? That's why exceptional customer service is so important for your retention and growth. I recommend using Gorgeous, the leading help desk for Shopify, Magento, and big commerce merchants. Gorgeous combines all your communication channels, including email, SMS, social media, live chat, and phone into one platform. This saves your team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. It also integrates seamlessly with your existing tech stack so you can access customer information and even edit, return, refund, or create an order right from your help desk. To learn more, go to gorgeous.com. That's G-O-R. GIAS.com and mention 2X e commerce podcast for two months free. That is gorgeous.com for two months free. Just mention 2X e commerce. What, what are your thoughts on, you know, SaaS or, you know, platform as a service? No, actually, SaaS e commerce platforms versus, um, um, you know, PaaS, you know, or platform as a service, um, you know, e commerce platforms. How, where do you see the the future? You, so in in and I'll just give you my perspective. Um, I do think that um, there a, a lot of organizations are starting to rethink technology, and um, they're they're looking they're starting to embrace and and we're talking, you know, quite significant organizations are starting to really embrace um, just 
decoupling themselves from e-commerce you know infrastructure as much as possible and focusing on on the build on the functionality and you know letting um you know e-commerce platforms such as adobe or, or what have you or shopify sort of you know, sort out all of the technical infrastructure and you know that obviously releases resources for them to focus more on um marketing and um customer experience essentially focusing on on rather than um having to really try and manage you know infrastructure essentially um do you see this being the direction the entire industry is going or does this just apply to certain you know um e-commerce or retail organizations um that have very specific needs uh, my perspective is that it's it's um the market was hungry for SaaS e-commerce and the market has responded and it's exactly as you describe many many companies don't want to invest a great deal of time money and effort into the infrastructure they want a tool that works consistently so that they can focus on their marketing and on their product and on their customers for sure so that's why you have the success of shopify and um more recently um you've got big commerce stepping in but there are several other um big players in the SaaS space i i kind of jokingly think of um SaaS platforms as you know in the U.S., we have like Kraft mac and cheese. You know, it's a box. So you can have your dinner and you have this very simple box of food and you can maybe add a few little um, add-ins later, you know, some broccoli or some ground beef or something and make it. But it's still essentially this box of food that someone prepared for you that you're making because it's quick, it's easy, it's affordable. And I think that that's SaaS-based technology like Shopify. And then you've got something that's a little bit more open and allows you to have a little bit more customizability, and that's like the big commerce platform. And you can think of that as like in the US, we have Blue Apron, for example, which is a brand that sends you a box of food ingredients and recipes. So you have a little bit more creativity in what you can produce, but you're still working within this defined space. Then you've got the world of Magento. Magento is you're going out, you're shopping, you're finding your own ingredients, and you're finding that you have to have the skill or you have to hire a, a skilled catering company to prepare custom meal based on what you want. And it can take some more time, but the results can be much more uh, satisfactory. All of those have a really valued space in the market, both for consumers who love food, but also in the space of e-commerce. If you think about it, the the SaaS platforms like Shopify are wonderful. They can be very affordable for smaller businesses. They can satisfy all their needs very easily. They're very intuitive to use, and they're rapidly advancing with new technologies all the time, similar with big commerce. Um, I think that what it comes down to for an individual company is taking an honest look at what is the likely total cost of ownership. It's not a slam dunk that Shopify and big commerce will be less expensive than Magento. Not at all. 
if you have revenues over five, 10 million a year, looking at Shopify Pro or Shopify Plus, I think you're going to be doing some pretty serious calculations to see where other platforms might fall. Um, and that being said, Magento requires support of an agency. Magento open source, there's no license fee. You don't pay a monthly fee, but you likely need to pay a partner agency for all of your development work. It's just a different bucket of cost, but when you put it all together, you can see based on your business where your total cost of ownership will be over five or six years. And I think that's probably the single most calculation a company should do beyond looking at functionality of an e-commerce platform. Yeah, yeah. And then there's exactly what you want to do, the experience you really want to deliver, um, which brings me to the topic of headless commerce. Yes. Do you, do you want to sort of break down, um, give a definition of headless commerce for, for, for listeners who are not um, too familiar with the term, please? From what I understand, uh, it's the idea is that you have a front layer um, that is uh, independent of many different operations or what are called microservices, and you connect everything via APIs. So you are able to use whatever um, platforms you choose, but the top layer stays constant. And so if you are connecting to, let's say, five different platforms, so you've got your e-commerce platform, you've got your CRM platform, you've got your, uh, you've got your PIM, um, uh, you've got your ERP, let's say, and they're all connected to that top layer via API, these microservices, you can more easily swap in and swap out as long as you can adjust those API connectors with your top layer and your top layer will stay the same. So it's not like you necessarily have to re-platform everything. It's much more component based, uh, which gives you much more flexibility. Um, I think there's also a little bit of confusion um, between the, the idea of PWA and, and headless, but I think I view them as two pretty separate things, um, but they're both um, topics that have been pretty hot topics recently in the yeah. past year or so. Yeah, and, and I do think that with the um, with the emergence of um, like omni-channel commerce, you know, um, where people or shoppers essentially um, do not necessarily they're, they're almost channel channel less um, in the sense that um, you know they could view a YouTube video. Um, you know, and eventually purchase via Instagram or um, go in. They're, they're, they're very happy to use, you know, display kiosk in, in stores self-serve. So you have this commerce engine on the back end that's serving all these new channels, you know, um, and essentially they, you, you have that head um, it's just serving, you know, um, you know, commerce in 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 through various front ends essentially. So whether it's a mobile app or um, it's your, you know, your 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 website or um, you know your uh, a display kiosk at a, you know exhibition or even in store, it's all there. Um, 
which poses a lot of opportunities. Does Adobe support headless? Um, is, it, is it headless, a headless platform? Um, well, I, I think the beauty of Magento is that it's it's um, got its APIs available rather than being a closed system. I, I think, um, could you do Shopify um, in a headless scenario? Probably, but you'd probably um, be very limited in what you can yeah. actually do functionally. Do. Um, yeah. Shopify chooses what functions they want to give you and they'll hide a lot of the other ones. Big Commerce is saying that they have maybe, I think it was like 94% of their functional APIs are exposed, are open for use, which is really impressive. Um, Magento, I, I think it's fair to say is 100%. So you can get in and make use of all of the different Magento functions through their APIs. Um, so I would say it's, it's a great candidate for headless. Um, so it's a it's a real modular platform in in the in the full sense, which you know which enables headless. Yeah, I mean, you you would it, the core of what it would be doing for you is e-commerce. You wouldn't choose Magento mm. to be your CMS, for example. Um, mm. I mean, you could, but it it's, would be it's, a it's secondary. Not, it's not very good CMS. Secondary mm. function mm. to the e-commerce function. Um, yeah, and again, headless. You know, the costs for going headless have come down in the past three or four years. Um, but still, it's it's you're going to have to do that calculation for a total cost of ownership because there is a fair bit of development work on the front end. And it's ongoing. Yes. It's ongoing. That's it, right. It, it, it exactly. is ongoing. So you, you will need a developer for a front-end developer for your, a dedicated front-end developer for your app, you know, for your, obviously, web all the yes. time. And, you know, any any new platform you, you bring. And that's, again, that's, it's really adapting to where your customers are shopping, you know, how they shop. That's know? that's a, um, a challenge that we've met several times when um, mm. the, the client may not fully understand that it's not a one-and-done operation when you build an e-commerce website and the amount of resources that you put into getting it done in the first place, you will probably need to plan to, you know, spend maybe half as much every single year to keep it up and running and optimize it. Um, mm. Otherwise, look at a SaaS platform where you may not have to, you know, have, uh, you'll have it more kind of baked in and ready to use. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, you know, I can't quite remember. I was at a conference, a virtual conference last November, and I th I think the consensus there was, you know, um, start out with a SaaS, scale, see how far you go, and if you kind of you know want to um, start to get more custom functionality. Say you're starting to to go omni-channel, you start to you know open retail stores that might be a time to start to think about replatforming, you know, um, when you're, you know, you're, you're expanding, um, your channels essentially, um, to, to adjust to, to the way customers shop. Okay. You, you did mention PWA, you know, um, which is progressive web, app. web yeah. applications, I believe. Yeah. Um, what, what are the benefits? Um, do you want to just give a brief definition on why people should be thinking, um, PWA now? Yeah, I think it's most most oftentimes um, kind of it sits in between two worlds. One is when you think of a website and you think of that website being responsive. 
what that means is that website will scale whether you're on a desktop monitor or on your tablet or on your phone. And you can kind of mimic this by taking your browser and, and shrinking it down and you'll see if the website adjusts and it turns the full menu into a hamburger menu. That's an indication that it's a responsive website. Um, then on the other side is the app. There are applications that are dedicated to a particular brand, to a particular website, and you open that up, up and you had to download it and it uh, operates on your phone whether you're connected to the internet or not. There are some functions that that app can do within your phone, whether you're connected. So PWA kind of lives somewhere in the middle where it still can be downloaded um, and it allows you to have some offline interactability just like an application does, but it also allows you to um, access this through a browser. So you don't have to have a dedicated app on your phone. It's still browser-based, but it allows you to do some functionality even when you're not online. Um, that's, that's not a particularly great explanation, but hopefully it gives you some idea of yeah. why PWA is, is important. Yeah, and I guess with the sophistication of um, you know browsers, um, that um, offload of um, functionality, that preload of functionality, that gives you, you know, a lot more you know app-like features. Yeah, the speed um, is one of the primary reasons that you want to be doing mm -hmm. uh, looking at PWA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is really good for SEO, I would think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and user experience essentially. Yes. user experience. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't ask about like the app ecosystem in Adobe. Um, obviously, Adobe is is a you know top Gartner um, you know um, e-commerce platform, no doubt about it. Really, really robust. Um, but what does the ecosystem look like? So back in the days with Magento, you had these. They're not really apps; they were plugins. Essentially, you, you go to the marketplace and you you purchase them outright. There was the, the idea of subscriptions was a bit was not yet sort of um, you know established. You, you you buy you buy these solutions and then you install them on your Magento. You hope and pray, and if if it doesn't work, you start to to hack it. You know, um, you sort out the issues probably in collaboration with the with the um, with the developers. What does it look like now, um, particularly with the cloud um, yeah. in, in, it's, in that it's, um, ecosystem? You, you, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what you would do. You would hope and pray that the extensions that you selected work with your existing platform. Exactly. And, um, it's gotten a lot better. But I think, as you say, it has migrated from this one-time fee of here's our extension. They're also called modules um, to subscription-based. And... That came out of really, um, <clears throat> of course, everyone wants recurring revenue, but it also allowed the developer to provide ongoing services and upgrades to the extension so that you wouldn't have to worry too much about whether it would break on the next update because you're keeping it up to date as Adobe continues to upgrade the version from 2.2 .2 to 2.3 to 2.4. And in theory, if the developer is staying on top of it, their extension will go along with Adobe's uh, migration. Um, and what's interesting is Adobe itself is going to be starting to develop additional functionalities for the Adobe Commerce platform, but they are going to essentially 
create them as subscribable um, subscriptions for that functionality for your e-commerce platform. So a lot of it, while it's not technically going to be a SaaS platform, a lot of the functions that you can add to your Adobe Commerce platform will be SaaS add-ons. So it's an interesting shift, um, but definitely, definitely the way that it's going because it allows those functions, like I said, to be continuously updated um, on your behalf rather than having to download the latest and having to upload it to your site and again, hope that it doesn't break on the next update. Mm. Interesting, interesting. Um, we could go on and on and on. Um, and yeah, <laughs> we'll just go on and on and on. Um, but just to wrap up, um, I, I'd like your your take on um, on two things. First is, you know, we we started out with um, these these monoliths, um, you know, monolith e commerce platforms that. Um, were a lot of the time, um, you know, self-hosted or on-premise hosted, you know, however we like it. And, and there's been this, um, you know, um, rapid evolution to or migration to the cloud. And um, we're also seeing some organizations cutting back um, from the cloud and saying, okay, no, you know, the, 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 these particular modules within our e-commerce infrastructure have to be on-premise just due to security what what are your thoughts on um on the future in regards to where e-commerce you know um you know platforming technology will go um the future of e-commerce platforming tech, would it continue to be in the cloud um do you think it come back on premise or you know self hosted or um yeah or somewhere in between i think it's going to be um more and more in the cloud um I think that that is going to become the most affordable environment. And um, it, it's going to be interesting to see if some, you know, because I don't know if you've had this experience, but even in the past year or so, I've been surprised to see that Facebook went down for a day or Instagram or, um, you know, I don't AWS websites in a particular region of the country yeah. went down. So there are yeah. risks. Um, and I think that it's just going to be a balancing out. Nothing is perfect. But I think that on balance, the cloud environment offers the greatest value and the greatest um, availability and scalability. Um, so I, I think that is going to be where... Um, the hosting world is is going over the next more and more over the next few years. Um, what about apps? Do you, do you think um, with with Adobe's you know latest innovation on um, you know SaaS apps that are continuously updated that um, that again will be um, just the future of services? You know th these are almost microservices in 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 that sense. I I think so. You know, part of me wants to kind of react to that and say, um, no, you know, like I want to own my record. I want to own my music, but, or I want to own my e-commerce code. But I see that more and more companies are willing to give that away 
in the interest of ease of use and allow a centralized company to manage the technology for them. Um, I, I honestly don't know. I think there is a great deal of value in owning your own e-commerce experience that you're providing to your customers. But I think, unfortunately, it, it will be coming with a higher and higher price over the next years, um, as, especially as these SaaS platforms become more and more sophisticated. So I think what you're going to see is this kind of middle space, you know, is going to really evolve this headless idea and these APIs and those interconnections between marketplaces and channels. And that's that messy middle is going to be very interesting to watch. The enterprise scale, like big, big, big companies, they're always going to be doing their own things with the big name, you know, technology providers. Small guys are always going to be looking for SaaS, ease of use, intuitive, you know, platforms. It's the messy middle that is going to be the most interesting, I think, to watch over the next mm. five, 10 years. Yeah. Uh, I do think that um, agility is the name of the game. Um, regardless of where you are, you know, um, from a um, enterprise value standpoint, um, you know, COVID happened, and the most agile retailers were able to do curbside, you know, um, you know, pickups. So they were able to activate e-commerce and get people to <clears throat> um, to, to to pick up in store. Um, they were, um, you know, able to adjust their their kiosk ordering. Um, you know, click and collect, all of that stuff. And then in the um, on the lower end of the scale, um, it, there were supply chain issues, but um, they were available. You know, their websites were available on, on SaaS. Um, it, it's really just been there, right? Um, but, but yeah. That convenience, but, um, I think, is, is uh, absolutely. The, being able to flip on the switch and say, okay, mm. I can do Boppus right now, or I can do uh, a new... Um, uh, shipper, you know, right now. And e mm -hmm. e that's where the SaaS platforms and their apps and their modules, yeah. the, the ease of use of getting that functionality so quickly is, is like you said, very mm. agile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and it really depends on um, what your, what your operational capabilities are because technology should, you know, serve operations really. And if your, your, your strategy and your operation dictates that, you know, it's same day delivery, then the technology should support that, you know, in yeah. every respect, whether it's a front end or whether it's, you know, the, the last mile tech. Um, yeah, just thoughts, <laughs> thoughts, <laughs> thoughts. Um, on, on a final note, um, we're in 2022, we're recording this on the 29th of March, you know, 2022. Um, the last time I checked, um, inflation rates were 6 8%, 6 to 8%, both in the US and the UK. Um, there's a war at the moment. Um, there's, there's still supply stain, um, you know, um, chain constraints. Um, shipping is an, is an well, sea shipping is an is an is an, is an all time high. Um, I heard there was intervention by the um, by the federal government in the United States to curb um, the just the, the 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 high shipping rates. I don't know yeah. um, whether anything was done, but but yeah, what what are your what's your outlook um, for 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 commerce for retail in in twenty twenty two? 
Well, I think I have to put the shipping uh, challenges a little bit aside because that is so complex and global in scope and so interdependent on so many different governments and companies. Um, that's exceptionally complex. Um, assuming that that gets ironed out, I think e-commerce is just going to get bigger and bigger. What I see is two interesting trends, actually. One is the, the commoditization of the customer and of products, um, but also um, kind of greater personalization. It doesn't seem to make sense, but I think that the personalization is coming through um, AI and more of this kind of automated marketing tools rather than really kind of qualitative, deep knowledge of your customer. Um, and, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I just think that that is a trend that's going to continue because there is a great deal of efficiency that can be found there. On the flip side, I think you're going to find consumers who are tired of that commodification and they're going to be looking for the most unique offerings that they can find that aren't these big brands that are these Kickstarter companies or are these Etsy artisans or are these uh, direct to consumer startups. So it's really it, it the market is, I would say, more democratized. Um, uh, I think the mainstream will likely go in that more of the commoditized um, vein. But I think there's this very interesting space for small artisans and creators um, to really capture a unique audience for themselves all through mm. e-commerce, I think. Mm. It's, it's, it's a great leveler and enabler, you know, um, and this past few years have been testament to it. Yeah. Right. Tim. Um, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the 2X e-commerce podcast show for, um, for, for viewers who want to find out more about, um, Iron Plane. I believe your website is ironplane.com. That's I-R-O-N-P-L-A-N-E.com. I will link to it in the show notes. Are you active on, um, on social media platforms? I believe we're connected on LinkedIn. We are. Yes. I'm on LinkedIn and, um, ironplane.com forward slash Tim has a little card about me, but because um, my last name is a little bit of a challenge to spell, but uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, a pleasure having you on the 2X e-commerce podcast show and um, thank you. Likewise, Kunle, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. We encourage you to connect with our community of 2X e-commerce listeners on our Facebook group, e-commerce growth accelerator mastermind. Just search for 2X e-commerce on Facebook to find it. Answer three questions and you'll be approved. Grab the show notes of this episode on our website, 2xecommerce.com. Finally, if you haven't already, give the show a review on your podcasting app. Catch you on the next show and keep growing.